Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hi, everyone. It's Shelby and the Doberman Girls reaching out from haunted New Hampshire to remind you that you, too, can become an executive producer. For more information, go to www.historygoesbump.com. See you there. the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 202nd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we're bringing you another one of America's universities. This is Appalachian State University, and we are going to be joined shortly by the listener who suggested this to us. That would be Stephen Pappas, who has joined us on previous episodes, and he also happens to be one of our executive producers. This is the university that Stephen himself attended, so it'll be fun to kind of hear his experiences there. I know personal experiences are so much more interesting than just finding the research in a book. Exactly, and what's really cool is now we have been to Boone, North Carolina, so we know all about this town. Yes, and we have been on the Blue Ridge Parkway, and we've been to North Carolina, and we love it. Yeah, so it's kind of cool to hit a place that we've actually kind of been to. We haven't been to the actual university. We'll be welcoming those of you who join the Spooktacular crew while we are on our road trip after we get home. So don't worry, we will get to you eventually. And that goes for any of our executive producers as well. Indeed. And now, this moment in oddity. This moment in oddity was suggested by Michael Rogers. The Guinness Book of Records claims that the highest incident of lightning in the world takes place in an area at the mouth of the Catumbo River in the western Venezuela state of Zulia. It has been called Venezuela's everlasting storm. There's so much lightning that residents of nearby Lake Maracaibo need to shut their blinds against the flashes of light around 300 nights each year. They also refer to the ongoing storm as the river of fire in the sky. The lightning has become part of the identity in the state of Zulia, and so they added a large lightning bolt to their flag. Scientists believe that the reason why the region has so much electricity in the air is because the conductivity in the air is increased from large supplies of methane coming from one of South America's largest oil fields. How much lightning does it take to get into the record book? Venezuela's everlasting storm is estimated to give off the incredible 3,600 flashes per hour, and that certainly is odd. Welcome. We have been expecting you. 
And now, This Month in History. In the month of May on the 6th in 1937, the airship Hindenburg catches fire and crashes, killing 36 people. LZ-129 Hindenburg was built by the Zeppelin Company in 1931 in Germany. This was the lead ship of the Hindenburg class, which was the longest class of flying machine and the largest airship by envelope volume. It had 15 Ferris wheel-like bulkheads, and the gas cells were a new innovation by the Goodyear Company. There were small passenger quarters, a dining room, and a large public area. The airship was originally designed to use helium, but export bans forced a redesign to hydrogen. Hydrogen was extremely dangerous, but no German airship had ever had an issue. That all changed on that fateful day in 1937. The destruction of the dirigible would cause Herbert Morrison to declare, All the humanity and all the fans The Hindenburg was attempting to dock at a naval air station in Manchester Township, New Jersey at 7.25 p.m. No one knows where or how, but fire broke out and the Hindenburg was quickly engulfed in flames. The tail crashed into the ground first. Total crash time from start of fire to bow hitting the ground was around 30 seconds. There were 61 crew members and 36 passengers on board. 35 people on the airship were killed along with one man on the ground. This brought to an abrupt end the airship era. Boone, North Carolina is nestled in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina in an area the state locals refer to as the high country. Known for its beautiful climate, easily accessible outdoor activities, and easygoing attitude, Boone is a major vacation destination for those in North Carolina and from all throughout the Southeast United States. While many know it for its autumn views and its deep roots in the bluegrass community, there are also those who know that there is more to this town than advertised. Boone and the surrounding areas seem to be a hotbed for strange occurrences, tragic deaths, and hauntings almost as chilling as the mountain air. One of these locations is Appalachian State University. Executive producer and listener Stephen Pappas joins us to share his experiences as a student there. Well, Stephen, we've had you on several times before, and you are an executive producer of the show. We always love having you on, and you told me, hey, I've got some more stuff to talk about here in North Carolina. So I said, well, why don't you come back on? We seem to have inspired people to start doing their own podcasts. I think people are figuring, hey, if they can do it, anybody can. (laughs) (laughs) But you decided to start your own podcast. It's called, Is This Adulting? Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about it? Sure. Is This Adulting is just this weird little brainchild of me and my college roommate. We, one, wanted to keep in touch better. We haven't been keeping in touch the best over the last, I guess, four years. Uh, And two, we realized we're both kind of in a similar place in life. We don't really understand what we're doing. We're not sure how to be adults, even though we still feel like we're kids. Uh, We're in that kind of middle age of I guess not middle age, but (laughs) you know what I mean. Uh, We're in that place in the middle where we're not sure what we're doing. Plus, uh, we both deal with mental illness, and we figured that was a way to discuss that more publicly and uh, help people who've had trouble with that. And we just talk about our mental health openly. We play silly games. We talk about random topics. Sometimes they're serious. Sometimes they're silly. But it's a lot of fun. 
Well, I've really been enjoying it. I laugh every single episode. And like you said, with you guys talking about mental illness, it's something that people don't really want to talk about publicly. And you guys, I don't want to say you poke fun at it, but you make it a little bit more lighthearted. So it's easier to talk about it and listen to it. It's not like you're just sitting there going, well, I have depression and I wish I was dead and I stabbed myself in the eye today. I mean, it's just (laughs) you sit there and go, "Okay, it is a hard thing to live with. But this is a really great way to listen to these guys learning how to live life dealing with it. And like you said, you guys are on the cusp of adulting, as we like to call it. (laughs) I try not to do it if I can help it. The 12 year old inside of me would rather hold on to everything. But there are, you know, you have to pay your bills and life has its challenges and you have to pull up your pants and say, okay, I'm going to handle this. So it's fun to listen to you guys and your perspective because I'm actually middle age. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think I've hit that hump where I'm about halfway to the point if I get to have a long life of where I'm going to be. When you look back at millennials, I know we've been guilty of it. We've had some of our millennial listeners get after us about it. You know, where I was like, get off our lawn. (laughs) (laughs) But it's nice to hear your perspective on things, because sometimes we forget what it was like to be in our 20s and have no idea what we wanted to do with our lives. And how are we going to pay these bills? It can be challenging. Oh, absolutely. So that's just kind of our way of processing become a podcast and uh we cannot thank you and denise enough if it weren't for y'all we would have probably no listeners except for our mothers so <laughs> well we are very happy to help you out and gosh i think the last time we saw you which was the first time we saw you was when we were on our trip to the carolinas and the last was the last time we saw you is right after we did the ghost tour in Asheville, and we right. went through their little oddities museum and we were walking through alleyways hoping we didn't get attacked We had Denise with us. I wasn't too scared. (laughs) Oh, we had a great time. And it was so great to meet you and spend a lot of time with you. You came up to our campsite and hung out with us while we were setting things up. And we got to see what Boone looked like. And we went to one of the locations that you've shared with us here on History Goes Bump, the Moses Cone Manor. Just a gorgeous building. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it up there. And that whole area is just beautiful. Uh, we did the Blue Ridge Parkway. When you describe it on the show, it's like, oh, that sounds really pretty. And then when you get to see it, it's like, oh, he was not kidding. This is really right. great. Will you remind everybody a little bit about Boone? Sure. Boone is a small town. It is in the, I guess, northwestern part of North Carolina. It's right near the Tennessee line, so you're not very far. It's probably 10 minutes to Tennessee, and so it's really not bad. We used to go over the border all the time because movies were cheaper there than they were in Boone uh, because there was one movie theater and they had a monopoly. It's just a little town. It's very much a college town. It's the home of Appalachian State University, which I know people are probably screaming at their iPods and iPhones right now, Appalachian. But we live in the area and everyone who lives in the area says Appalachian. So maybe that makes us a little country or maybe (laughs) everybody else is wrong. We don't know. It's one of those, I guess we'll never know. I'll have to tell you, based on the emails we get, it's whatever the locals say is right. <laughs> right. That's what I kind of feel like. It's, uh, that's why we, we usually argue a good bit with people who come to the school from, you know, I had a friend from Louisiana and the first time she said Appalachian, I like, I shushed her. I was like, shh, no, no, no. Don't let people hear you say that. They'll make fun of you. They'll tease you. And she was like, oh, what do you call it? It's Appalachian. And she just kind of looked at me like, well, that sounds dumb. But that's how you say it. So there you go. 
It is. Yeah. But Boone is just a beautiful little college town, general stores and all sorts of just like little local businesses. It's It's got a reputation for being a very hippy dippy town because everything is local. And when the Waffle House moved in, everybody raised hell. And it's one of those little places. But it's beautiful. And I could not have thought of a better place to spend four and a half years of school. Well, that whole high country area has a really deep history there. Absolutely. They, uh, as far as my research, when I was looking into it, they said that the uh, settlement of the high country could go back as far as 13,500 years. Wow. That's great. <laughs> Cherokee, North Carolina is not too far outside of Asheville. It's still a settlement where a lot of the descendants of the Cherokee tribe and the remaining members of the Cherokee tribe still live. And you can walk through and they set up kind of a what it would be like to walk through a tribal village then. It's it's kind of touristy, but at the same time, a lot of the people there are actually members of the Cherokee tribe actually making goods and selling them uh, to support the tribe. So it's a pretty cool little area. Now, the, were the British the first to come in there for Europeans? As far as I know, I couldn't see anything else about, I would have thought maybe the French when I was looking up, but as far as I could tell, it was the British. The earliest thing I could find about colonialism was with the British in 1770, where the British and the Cherokee kind of got mad about settling the region. So they signed a treaty uh, to prohibit settling the region, which didn't quite happen. But yeah, it makes you wonder, why did they even bother with the treaty? Because it basically was supposed to say, this is going to be the Cherokees area. We're not supposed to come into it. And the settlers said, oh, there's a piece of paper somewhere. We're just going right. to come on in. Right. Yeah, they weren't scared of that piece of paper at all. Well, one of the military leaders there told him that they all needed to get out eventually, didn't he? Yes, he did. It was, I think it was General, no, General Cornwallis pulled out of uh, North Carolina because of some of the settlement issues. But one of the leaders finally told them like, hey, lay down your weapons, vacate the area. Uh, this is not what you need to be doing. We signed a treaty. It does matter. That didn't go well. They formed a militia. It turned into a whole thing. Yeah, they called them the over mountain men, didn't they? Yes. And they got into a little bit of a spat in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, which is actually near Charlotte, which is also on the North Carolina, South Carolina border, kind of down here. A lot of these little mountain towns border other states. Well, and that was in 1780. And if you look at the time period there, it's like, wait a minute, there was something going on all across the East Coast where we were having an American Revolution. Right. <laughs> and so... It, it makes you wonder if this is just another one of those breaks that was going on here where the settlers, the colonists were saying, now, wait a minute, here's the British telling us that we need to get out. And so that's one of the reasons why they took up the arms. And this battle, actually, I think you told me happened before the victory at Yorktown. Yes, it did. Yeah, it was um, it was one of the things that caused that's what I was talking about earlier it was one of the things that caused Cornwallis to pull out of North Carolina. After that, it kind of started going downhill. That's not the reason that they won at Yorktown, but it was kind of considered one of the big victories in the state. And then as they did a lot of the time after the American Revolution, the soldiers who fought or militiamen who participated, they said, well, we really can't pay you guys, so we're going to give you land. Some of the land that was there in Boone was opened up to them, and they just kind of streamed in, and I guess the Cherokee ended up having to, to move out. It was the way it kind of happened all across the country. Yeah, it was, uh, it was unfortunate. You kind of hate to see those tribes get run off their land, but it, it's what happened everywhere, I guess. Now, one of the locations that you know here in Boone very well is what you were just talking about, Appalachian State University, where you went. And we're talking about it because there is some hauntings going on there. At the center of the town sits Appalachian State University. 
Blanford B. Doherty and his brother Dauphine D. Doherty recognized that Northwestern North Carolina did not have a good place of education. They gathered a group together to work towards building a school. They convinced their father, Daniel B. Doherty, and another man named J.F. Hardin to donate land for the building of the school. They constructed a wood frame structure that cost them $1,000, which they raised from nearby citizens. The Doherty brothers decided to co-principal the school, and it opened in the fall of 1899. They named it the Watauga Academy. The academy offered three grades and enrolled 53 students that first year. Dauphine was convinced that they could eventually get the state to fund a bigger institution. He went to the Capitol, pleaded his case, and the Appalachian Training School for the Teachers was established. The school opened on October 5, 1903, with $2,000 from the state and 325 students. In 1925, the school name was changed to Appalachian State Normal School. This was a two-year school for educating teachers. It later expanded to four years and again had the name changed to Appalachian State Teachers College. Through all these changes, Blanchard Doherty was there. He presided over the school for 50 years. That's a long time, Denise. Yes, it is. Dr. William H. Plemons became president of the school in 1955, and he oversaw the transformation from a single-purpose teacher's college into a multi-purpose regional university. 25 construction projects took place during his tenure, and he became known as the builder president. Enrollment grew to 5,000 students at this time. In 1966, fire destroyed the administration building, and in 1971, the university became part of the University of North Carolina system. Dr. Hubert W. Way became president around that time, and the innovation he brought earned Appalachian State national recognition as an institution of change, and enrollment was doubled to 9,500 people. The university would eventually garner recognition in the U.S. News and World Report and other publications as a top comprehensive university. The university's emphasis on international education led the American Council on Education to recognize Appalachian as a model institution for international studies. Time magazine named Appalachian a College of the Year in 2001. Today, the university has one of the highest elevations among American schools and enrolls around 18,000 students. One of the things we like to ask people is to kind of give us a visual of what the campus looks like. So can you describe it? How many buildings? Sure. It's not spread out over a very large area by any means, but it's not small. We're probably talking major classroom buildings, union, things like that. Dorms, maybe 30, 35 buildings. And I could be lowballing that. Split into East and West Campus like a lot of colleges. Most of everything is on East Campus. West Campus is mostly dormitories, the football stadium, and the school of like math and science. That's all kind of on West Campus, which is, no offense to West Campus, kind of boring. There's not really much over there other than dorms and some classroom buildings. But then you've got East Campus, which has even more dorms. And then, you know, the school of business, school of education, the library, the student union, a place called Sanford Mall, which I think every college has some sort of mall or quad or something, which is just a huge field that people play Frisbee on and lay out in the sun and go slacklining and hang up hammocks and all sorts of things. So basic, I guess, outdoor college things, but it's very much a outdoor campus, lots of trees, 
lots of plant life, lots of art sculptures. It's very art-based school. A whole lot of reasons to be outside and not stuffed up in classrooms. I've had multiple teachers cancel class because it was too pretty of a day to sit in class. Well, like most universities out there that have hauntings, and it seems like all of them do, usually it's because there's a lot of suicide on campus, and it seems like that is the case with Appalachian University there. Can you talk a little bit about that? App is definitely a, I would say, quote unquote, high suicide school, um, which is extremely unfortunate and sad. Uh, A lot of that is attributed to SAD, the Seasonal Affective Depression Disorder, because it starts snowing in October and it doesn't stop till mid-April. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. And so it's very cloudy, dark, snowy, cold, windy situations. And in the winter, you're kind of stuck inside a lot. Now, those months between, you know, May and September are beautiful. I mean, the highest it ever got up there uh, up until my senior year, the highest temperature it had ever been was 83 degrees. So it's gorgeous up there. The temperature is nice. But during those months, it's pretty dark. And so I think that that plays into it a lot. I know um, the year after I graduated, I think there were 11 deaths. I'm not sure. Nine of which were suicide, if I'm remembering correctly. I know one young woman uh, went missing and was missing for a month. And they ended up finding her. She had um, committed suicide in the woods um, behind the school. And I remember that just kind of rocked the school. And then over the course of that one winter, it seemed like For some reason, just like there was this dark cloud, even more so than usual, hanging over the school. Usually it was one or two suicides a year, which is still a lot. One is too many. It was a really tough year that year, even as an alumni, to to kind of look back and see that happening to the school. So they think that that is related to a lot of the hauntings. Yeah, these are the kind of stats, record-breaking things that you don't want to have happen. I can't imagine having nine suicides in a year. Like you said, you've got people who are depressed because the weather's just down, but you've also got the pressure of school. And you want to tell these kids, if you can just make it through this year, this you're going to look back on this and be like, oh, why was that like my entire life? And I was so devastated by it. And right. it's just really sad. I know one of the locations that you mentioned was haunted there is East Hall. And this has something to do with a suicide pact or something. Yes. East Hall is probably the most famous, quote unquote, haunting on campus. There's a lot that I've learned over the years by talking to history professors and anthropology professors because I'm interested. And most of them actually do support the history behind it. It's just hard to find the records in the archives because these aren't always things they want to put down. East Hall is on East Campus, obviously. It is supposedly super haunted. Apparently in the 1970s, six students killed each other in the basement and a suicide pact in an effort to open a portal to hell. Wow. And yeah, that's pretty dark stuff. That was always the legend. Turns out when I talked to uh, more of the history professors and stuff, a student killed himself in the basement. There's no record to support the suicide pact thing. That might be a legend. They're not sure because it seems like multiple people have died in that basement. They're just not sure if it was all kind of at one time. You get all sorts of weird stuff going on in East. There's weird footsteps up and down the hallways. Uh, There's things coming from inside the walls or people running up and down hallways where there are no hallways. There's an apparition of a young man who's been seen in the third floor bathroom causing all sorts of trouble. Floating lights hovering by the windows in the basement. I actually found an article from the uh, student paper uh, where they had asked about firsthand accounts in East Hall. And, you know, these are students. Take it for what you will. 
somebody said my second or third day at East, I was sleeping and my roommate was coughing. I thought she was dying. Then I heard the words, no, I need to see a psychiatrist. But it didn't sound like my roommate. I turned around and there was this thing, this figure floating right in front of me. And it came right at me. I could feel myself screaming, but I could not physically move. Mm. So to me, that sounds like sleep paralysis. It does, especially if they're not able to move. So we always wonder, is sleep paralysis something that's actually physically happening to you? Or is it just the body is still in the dream state and you don't realize that you're still sleeping? But how creepy. I mean, that's just a weird thing to have happen, especially if you think it's your roommate. Right. What's interesting about the stuff that you described there, have they done a lot of renovations in East Hall? Not that I've seen, not too many. It's been one of the ones that right now, at least, unless they've done some over the last years, it's been pretty left alone. I know uh, they've been renovating dorms all over campus uh, since I was probably a sophomore there. But uh, there hasn't been too much going on, especially in the lower levels. I think they've done some basic stuff, but nothing major. I just thought it was strange that you were saying there's these noises that they hear coming from inside the walls and as if somebody's running down a hallway where there's not really a hallway. So it's like, was that something that was there prior to that? And it's something residual that's continuing its same course, even though the building has changed? Or is it just a really creepy phenomenon? Right. I have no earthly idea. There's all sorts of stuff going on there. There's there's stuff with every room in East has a sink. I've read so many accounts of people saying their sink was turning on and off in the middle of the night. Weird sounds in pipes, which can happen with temperature. Mm -hmm. But all sorts of stuff like that. I found an account of a girl who said she was going down the stairs and up to pack the cars when she saw a girl walking down the hall toward her. There was a light coming out of her. And she couldn't tell who it was, so she tried to identify her. She said she was wearing white pajamas and was really pale with red hair, but she didn't get close enough to see who it was. And then she mentioned it to her roommate weeks later. And her roommate said she had once encountered a pale girl with red hair standing by the sink in the basement bathroom. And she was not a person from the dorm or a friend of anyone. And when she said she looked at her in the mirror, she couldn't make out a face or any features. This is something that has been fascinating me. You know, we look at locations that have the woman in white, things that occur in lots of places, and it starts to make you think, okay, is there some kind of connection with this? Why does every place seem to have a lady in white or a woman in white? The other thing that we're finding out a lot, it seems like with these universities, there's a lot of connection to water. That's what you hear a lot. The showers turn on and off by themselves. The faucets Mm -hmm. are turning on and off by themselves. You mentioning, of course, it could be old buildings, winter pipes clanging around. But if something was coming through the pipes or what have you, it makes you wonder if there is that connection to water since we know paranormal and water seem to go hand in hand with each other. I don't know. It's possible. I'm a believer that anything can be possible in the mountains. There's large amounts of quartz and different sorts of stones up there that, I mean, they say can hold energy. So Mm -hmm. you never know. Right across from East Hall is Coffee Hall. Is that how you say it? Yes, it's spelled a little weird, but it's definitely Coffee Hall. (laughs) Um, Or it was there. It's been torn down. Yeah, it was there my freshman year. They tore it down, which was a bummer. It was a very small dorm, though, so I guess it made sense. I mean, it only had maybe 20, 25 rooms, so very small. It was mostly for uh, seniors who were part of ambassador programs and things like that. Um, But when I was there, there was always this story about this guy that the professors called Max. 
And again in the 1970s, apparently a lot of bad stuff happened in the 1970s there. This student named Max had hung himself in a room on the second floor. And so the room, which I think, um, don't quote me on it, I think was 204. We may never know. They've torn it down. Anyone who lived in that room for years would report the lights flicking on and off in the middle of the night. The TV volume would fly up really loud in the middle of the night when the TV wasn't even on. It would shoot down. The TV would come on and off. They didn't seem to be afraid. The people that lived there said it seemed kind of mischievous, not really anything to be afraid of. Uh, then they tore it down. And since then, there's been no reports of anything in the building that stands where it used to stand. But I don't know. It's a little weird. Interesting. That kind of answers the question where we sometimes wonder, do ghosts stay in a location even after the location is gone? And apparently Max decided to go with the building. Yeah, maybe he was just, you know, tired of it. He figured it was time. You know, he's a college student. Sometimes you, you got to grow up, I guess. Or sometimes I wonder if those aren't more definitively residual and that's why they go because whatever they were locked into, wherever their energy, whether it was the whatever the building was made out of is gone. So that energy dissipates. I right. wonder if sometimes that's the case. It absolutely could be. You lived in a haunted dorm while you were there. I did. I never experienced anything while I was there. It was the way this dorm was set up was a split co-ed dorm. So like there was an all guys dorm on campus. There was an all girls dorm on campus. And then most dorms were co-ed floors. This was a weird dorm where it was like guy floor, girl floor, guy floor, girl floor, guy floor, girl floor. So the ninth floor, which is supposedly the haunted floor, uh, was a girl's floor. So, of course, I didn't live up there. But I did have friends that did. That was Eggers Hall. And I know a school historian told me that in the 90s, a girl had thrown herself from the ninth floor, which, as listening to the episodes, we seem to see a lot of people throwing themselves off of buildings in college. Mm -hmm. um, but while I was there, you know, I had friends. They lived up there. They told me all kinds of stuff. Uh, again, with water, showers turning on and off, sinks turning on and off, doors slamming and opening in the middle of the night. But then there was this weird thing, which is it's it's dark humor, but a large crack kind of appeared in the building on the ninth floor my freshman year. And they actually gave us all shirts when they were done repairing it that said, I survived the crack in the egg, <laughs> <laughs> <That's great. laughs> which which I always appreciated the pun because um, I'm a child. But uh, they worked on it for a long time, probably about five months. And during that time, they built us this wooden tunnel. It was like a plywood tunnel to walk from the front door down to, there were 47 steps, I remember counting them, from the front door all the way down to the parking lot to go across campus. Bricks were falling off of the ninth floor constantly because this building was basically falling apart up there. And so why they let us live in it, I have no idea. As you would walk, bricks would fall, they'd hit the wooden thing, scare the hell out of you. But people made all sorts of like morbid jokes about the bricks hitting the tunnel, being the young woman throwing herself off the building and all this stuff. It was kind of it was it was morbid humor. I did not partake in that. But it was a uh, it was one of those, I guess, college things that everybody liked to tease and have fun about. It was kind of creepy when you got to talk to the people that lived up there. Well, I'm not an architectural engineer, obviously, but that just sounds strange to me that a building would start crumbling. How many floors is that? Nine floors. So the top floor is the one that's crumbling. That just seems really weird to me. And maybe that is a common occurrence, but I would think that something would crumble from the base. You would think so. Yeah, I have no clue why it did. There was a little part of it that was kind of built up above the ninth floor, almost like if you looked at it, it would look like a big chimney almost, but it wasn't. And that is where the crack started. So maybe that had something to mm. do with it. But it was starting to spread to the wall outside the ninth floor. So it was a little weird. 
And just happens to be a coincidence that that girl threw herself off from there. I also wonder, now that you're mentioning this, I'm going to go back and start looking through some of these other universities that we've done mm-hmm. and see what floor is it that a lot of them seem to be jumping off of. Now, maybe the night story sticks in my head because of the night story podcast and Dan Voitick <laughs> and everything. But it just, I'm like, wow, that ninth floor. I wonder if there's a commonality there. Yeah, it could be. I think it was... If I'm not mistaken, it is the tallest dorm on campus, too. That could have something to do with it as well. So these are the haunted dorms. Do you have some of the classroom buildings? Do they have hauntings going on? Uh, not too many. The one major one is I.G. Greer. Uh, I.G. Greer was the old music school before they built the new one. And now it's used for religious studies and some sociological stuff, some theater and some philosophy. So I spent a lot of my time in there but it has a huge auditorium. It's used for those classes where you have three, 400 students in a classroom and they all have clickers to answer surveys on the screen and everybody falls asleep, but no one notices because there's so many of you. It's one of those. But like I said, it was the original music school. And so the legend goes, of course, because you always have to preface with those words, that there was a young couple who was engaged to get married. Uh, she was a piano major, performance major there at the school of music. And her fiance would sit in the same seat every time that she had a recital because she had anxiety issues and that would ease her nerves. So she could always look up, see him, chill out, and then go on with the performance. Well, on the day of one of her recitals, he had to go down to Wilkesboro, which is about 45 minutes away, for a wedding-relating meeting on the day of one of the recitals. She couldn't go because she had the recital. And so he said, don't worry about it, I'll handle it. And so he drove down, assured her, I'll be back in plenty of time, no need to worry. So right before the show, she saw him slip in. He got to his seat. All was well. She went on with the performance. But afterwards, apparently her parents, who had been there for the performance, came up to her and they were just white as a sheet. And they told her that he had been killed in a car accident on the way back to Boone that evening. Oh. But she had seen him. I mean, she she kept telling them I, she was sure she saw him. He was in his seat, which is devastating, but also so eerie, this idea that he still came to the show. And so now that seat's a little odd that people know which seat it is. It's one of those. It's up on the balcony level of the auditorium. If you're facing the seats from the stage, it's going to be on your right, probably four rows back, three rows in. Like everyone knows where that seat is. And it doesn't go up and down at the will of the person trying to sit in it. (laughs) If you push it down and sit in it, people have felt like it was pushing them back up, which sometimes I've wondered So it doesn't want to stay up. It goes down. Well, that could be faulty springs. That could Mm -hmm. be weird mechanisms. But if you're sitting in it and you have your weight in it and it is pushing you up, I I don't know how to explain that. I really don't. No way of doing that. And people always report getting sick after sitting in it during classes or they show movies in there on weekends. Um, People report getting nauseous. Some people have thrown up. And a lot of these people don't know the story until after They say it to somebody like, I don't know, I just felt weird or my seat was acting weird. Was your seat acting weird? Like, it's just it's one of those kind of odd, unexplainable things that I don't know how I feel about that one, just because I have no way of explaining how a seat could push back against you with any real force. Well, it's not the first time that we've heard about a seat in an auditorium being the haunted location. So that is interesting. And yeah, like you said, gravity, number one, is going to work in the favor of the seat being down. And all of us, if we've sat in a theater, generally you have to push a seat down. And I've never felt like, 
Well, the seat is like pushing me up again. I never felt uncomfortable. And I would assume that if you're feeling it pushing you upward, you'd be getting very rather uncomfortable. Exactly. No, I would I would freak out. I'd I'd be out of there in no time. I mean, at least nobody's gotten pushed out of the seat. (laughs) Right. I mean, that we know of. I mean, you never know. At least it's far enough back on the balcony that I don't think it would like project them off of the balcony or anything. Mm hmm. But <laughs> just knock them out and have them be like, well, you said it's several seats in. So maybe that might be the case. It'd be kind of hard to push them out unless they kind of went into the person who's in front of them. Yeah, I think I would just uh, if I felt that I would just, you know, stand up. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. And I'd, I'd be out of the theater pretty fast. I really have to go to the bathroom right this minute. Exactly. It's an emergency. Got to go. See ya. Now, you yourself have had an experience on the campus. Is that correct? A little bit. Uh, there's just some kind of eerie feelings in one of the buildings. And that is at a campus ministry building. Actually, when I was at App during my time there, I was a leader in a campus ministry. My goal was less, quote unquote, religious based. I was more outreach, just talking to people, uh, building relationships, building community, taking people to coffee, just hanging out, letting people know like, hey, you got somebody here that's willing to talk to you. I had a lot of fun with that. It was a small building on campus behind the arts building, and I spent the majority of my downtime there playing ping pong or watching TV, just kind of chilling out. It's where I met my wife, so it's a very important place to me. But while it wasn't really supposed to be shared with incoming students, we all knew there was kind of a dark history with the building. The campus minister before the minister before ours, so two back from the one who was there leading when we were there, had died in the building. He had hung himself in the stairwell one night and the students came in and found him the next day. Just say weird stuff went on there sometimes, weird feelings, eerie feelings. Me and friends still joke about just sounds that came from nowhere uh, more than anything. But God help you if you were in that building alone at night and you had to go up and down the stairs, which I had to a few times. And it was just I don't know if it was just because I knew what had happened or what, but it was just something eerie, something creepy. I felt like there were eyes on me, Mm. like somebody was watching me, like I wasn't alone in the stairwell. So I ran up and down the stairwell uh, most of the time. I remember one time we had had a guy come and he was an artist, just a friend of ours, and he had done this piece of art and he had drawn this face and it was kind of creepy, but it was also like a really beautiful piece of art. It was just a little eerie and it was set up in the room at the top of the stairs. And so I remember one time being alone in the building, running up the stairs, being a little creeped out. And as soon as I got up the stairs, I look up and the first thing I see are those eyes on that picture staring back at me. And I said, nope. And I went down the fire escape on the other side of the building and I left (laughs) just because I was like, no, I don't, I don't like it. I don't, I don't think that's anything, but I don't want that feeling. So, (laughs) well, I don't blame you. I remember as a kid running up and down the basement stairs and there was nothing connected to that with a dark history. So if you've got a history that goes with it, especially when you hear that a minister has hanged himself, that is, that's pretty major. Right. Exactly. It was, uh, yeah, it was not something we were to tell the incoming people. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least we were told by the leader because I think he thought that that would mar their image of the building. Everybody eventually found out in some way what had happened, but There's a million stories of what had actually happened and how he actually hung himself, but I won't get into that. Well, if it's similar to the pastor who hung himself in Alton, it was, um, let's just say his clothes were in disarray and uh, 
It looked like maybe he was taking part in a certain kind of sexual thing that some people like to do to enhance their experience, and it went horribly wrong. Right. I'm I'm not at liberty to say whether or not that has any similarity with the stories I've heard. Gotcha. But <laughs> <laughs> understood. Since I uh, since I did my initial research, I have found out there's a couple more dorms I didn't know that were haunted. The LLC is haunted, which is the Living Learning Center. It's where they keep uh, they keep like their prisoners. <laughs> it's where the North Carolina Teaching Fellows live, who are there on scholarship for teaching. There was a girl when they first built it that said she was there by herself. She was the only person living there over the summer, helping get things ready on her floor. And she'd hear beating on doors and banging on walls in the middle of the night. And she'd get up and check and look at security cameras. And there's nobody in the building. And so I don't understand because that's a new building. Why something would be there unless it's on the grounds of something that was there before. There were reports from another dorm called Summit Hall which is an honors dorm on campus. It only opened, I guess, five years ago now, so I was already gone or getting ready to leave. Some weird stuff has happened there, too. One girl, actually, I found a quote. She said, my roommate and I have bed rails for the beds that we had bunked. And we walked in, and everything was fine. They were leaning against the wall next to my bathroom. And when my roommate and I turned around, it was perfectly positioned against the door, flush. The bars were locking us into the room. Wow. And so she said neither one of them could explain it. She said, my guess is it fell over. But she said, but it just it moved across the room. So she has no clue how that happened uh, with them not paying attention. They were unpacking and they just didn't notice that these things and maybe they were unpacking and one of them accidentally moved it. But they both swear up and down they didn't. So that's I don't pretty know. weird. Yeah. Those are just a few of the extra little things that I was able to find uh, after I did my initial research. But it's. It's one of those. I mean, it seems like recently on the episodes, every college has some sort of hauntings. And uh, what's legend? What's fact? I feel like you never know, especially on campuses. Everybody likes to pass around stories. Mm -hmm. But uh, that is part of the problem. It's that ghost lore that Matt Swain mentions. And you get a bunch of young people together and you're drinking and you're telling stories. It's kind of like its own campfire setting is a university. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And there's, like I said, the high country is rife with those sort of stories. So there's even more in the areas surrounding Boone that I won't even get into with you. Maybe another time. But it's it's crazy, the amount of stuff that supposedly happens up there. Well, if you think that those mountains have so much quartz in them, and anytime you're in a mountain region, you've already got some weird stuff going on because you don't know if there's, is there crypto creatures here? You'll hear a lot of <laughs> UFO sightings, especially because mountains are a high point. So yeah, it's it seems like there's a lot of bizarre stuff going on. And then just down the hill there, you've got Asheville, which, you know, when we did the ghost tour there, I was like, this place is creepy as heck. There's so much stuff going on here. It's amazing. Oh yeah. When we were on that ghost tour, I'm not going to lie. There were a few times that he was telling a story, especially in front of that old, it used to be the jail and they had seen a ghoul there mm-hmm. and he was telling that I wanted to just be like, all right, can we move on? Time to move on. Got to get out of here. Scared. I'm going to see something in the window. See y'all later. Like I was a little on edge when we were there. That was the only time during that tour that I was actually a little scared. <laughs> but- yeah. Well, what was so interesting about the whole atmosphere is we've been on ghost tours in cities that are kind of loud and Asheville has that college party. We went by the drum circle while we were doing the tour. And so you've got this loud thing going on. It was a rather large group. And Mm. so that usually takes away from the experience and I usually don't get as into it. I kind of feel like I'm on the outskirts of it because there's so much outside contamination, I guess is a good way to put it. 
This one, I was locked in. Part of it was that he was a really great storyteller, but I wonder how much of it just is that there was that kind of energy around because there were several times when we were, uh, I think one of the first locations he took us to, we were just down from that. I think they've turned it into a hotel or a bed and breakfast. And he Mm -hmm. kept putting that little pointer that he had up towards the window and saying, this is where people have seen it. And then he was showing us pictures that people had taken on the tour. And it was like, you were just expecting to see something sitting in that window because I've never seen such convincing pictures before that there's something there and it didn't look like pareidolia or anything like that. Right. There were so many times on that tour that I legitimately was trying to not look, but also look. Like I was like, I'm looking, but I'm 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 gonna glance away real quick just in case I might see something and God knows I'd take off running at that point. So <laughs> we'd be like, um, Steven, Steven. Nope, I I you wouldn't catch me. Well, you might catch me. I'm not that fast. Well, Steven, I wanna thank you for joining us again. It's always a pleasure having you on. And now you've got like your own equipment and you sound so professional on your end. Well, that's I'm I'm glad. Uh, usually I was running off of a garbage computer microphone, so I am super glad that this sounds better. <laughs> yeah, it's coming through really great and are you still hiding in your closet though? I'm not. I have for the first time started this podcast, we realized I actually get better sound outside of my closet. So I have I've vacated the closet. I finally come out. Um, <laughs> Stephen is am, out of the I'm, closet. I'm thrilled to be out here in the open. Now I'm just crammed into the master bedroom. But hey, it's a little bigger. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your weekend. All right. Awesome. Thanks. You too. And we'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Is Appalachian State University haunted? That is for you to decide. We want to thank Stephen for joining us again and his research help with this episode. On our next episode, we're going to go over to Maryland And we're going to check out the Haunted Ships of Baltimore. There are three ships in particular that we are going to look at that are over there. And then hopefully we'll get to see them next year. That would be the USS Torsk, USCGC Tanny, and the USS Constellation. This was suggested to us by Sarah Gunther, so we're looking forward to bringing that to you guys on the next episode. We'd love to have you check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can send it to historygoesbump at gmail.com. We want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Thanks. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.